They were both what we commonly call successful businessmen men with well-fed faces, heavy signet rings on fingers like sausages, and broad, comfortable waistcoats, a yard and a half round the equator. They were seated opposite each other at a table of a first-class restaurant and had fallen into conversation while waiting to give their order to the waiter. Their talk had drifted back to their early days and how each had made his start in life when he first struck New York. I tell you what, Jones, one of them was saying, I shall never forget my first few years in this town. By George, it was pretty uphill work. Do you know, sir, when I first struck this place, I hadn't more than 15 cents to my name. Hadn't a rag except what I stood up in, and all the place I had to sleep in you won't believe it, but it's a gospel fact just the same was an empty tar barrel. No, sir, he went on, leaning back and closing up his eyes into an expression of infinite experience. No, sir, a fellow accustomed to luxury like you has simply no idea what sleeping out in a tar barrel and all that kind of thing is like. My dear Robinson. The other man rejoined briskly, if you imagine I've had no experience of hardship of that sort, you never made a bigger mistake in your life. Why, when I first walked into this town I hadn't a cent, sir, not a cent, and as for lodging, all the place I had for months and months was an old piano box up a lane, behind a factory. Talk about hardship. I guess I had it pretty rough. You take a fellow that's used to a good warm tar barrel and put him into a piano box for a night or two, and you'll see mighty soon my dear fellow, Robinson broke in with some irritation, you merely show that you don't know what a tar barrel's like. Why, on winter nights, when you'd be shut in there in your piano box just as snug as you please, I used to lie awake shivering with the draft fairly running in at the bunghole at the back. Draft, sneered the other man, with a provoking laugh, draft. Don't talk to me about drafts. This box I speak of had a whole darn plank off it, right on the north side too. I used to sit there studying in the evenings, and the snow would blow in a foot deep. And yet, sir, he continued more quietly, though I know you'll not believe it. I don't mind admitting that some of the happiest days of my life were spent in that same old box. Ah, those were good old times. Bright, innocent days, I can tell you. I'd wake up there in the mornings and fairly shout with high spirits. Of course, you may not be able to stand that kind of life not stand it. Cried Robinson fiercely, me not stand it. By God, I'm made for it. I just wish I had a taste of the old life again for a while. And as for innocence, well, I'll bet you weren't one-tenth as innocent as I was, no, nor one-fifth, nor one-third. What a grand old life it was. You'll swear this is a darn lie and refuse to believe it but I can remember evenings when I'd have two or three fellows in, and we'd sit round and play Pedro by a candle half the night. Two or three, laughed Jones. Why, my dear fellow, I've known half a dozen of us to sit down to supper in my piano box, and have a game of Pedro afterwards, yes, and charades and forfeits, and every other darn thing. Mighty good suppers they were too. By Jove, Robinson, you fellows round this town who have ruined your digestions with high living, have no notion of the zest with which a man can sit down to a few potato peelings, or a bit of broken pie crust, 
or talk about hard food, interrupted the other. I guess I know all about that. Many's the time I've breakfasted off a little cold porridge that somebody was going to throw away from a back door, or that I've gone round to a livery stable and begged a little bran mash that they intended for the pigs. I'll venture to say I've eaten more hogs food hogs food, shouted Robinson, striking his fist savagely on the table. I tell you hog's food suits me better than he stopped speaking with a sudden grunt of surprise as the waiter appeared with a question, what may I bring you for dinner, gentlemen? Dinner, said Jones, after a moment of silence, dinner, oh, anything, nothing I never care what I eat give me a little cold porridge, if you've got it, or a chunk of salt pork anything you like. It's all the same to me. The waiter turned with an impassive face to Robinson. You can bring me some of that cold porridge too, he said, with a defiant look at Jones. Yesterday's, if you have it, and a few potato peelings and a glass of skim milk. There was a pause. Jones sat back in his chair and looked hard across at Robinson. For some moments the two men gazed into each other's eyes with a stern, defiant intensity. Then Robinson turned slowly round in his seat and beckoned to the waiter, who was moving off with the muttered order on his lips. Here, waiter, he said with a savage scowl, I guess I'll change that order a little. Instead of that cold porridge I'll take um, yes a little hot partridge. And you might as well bring me an oyster or two on the half shell, and a mouthful of soup, mock turtle, consomme, anything and perhaps you might fetch along a dab of fish, and a little peck of stilton, and a grape, or a walnut. The waiter turned to Jones. I guess I'll take the same, he said simply, and added, and you might bring a quart of champagne at the same time. And nowadays, when Jones and Robinson meet, the memory of the tar barrel in the piano box is buried as far out of sight as a home for the blind under a landslide. They were both what we commonly call successful businessmen men with well-fed faces, heavy signet rings on fingers like sausages, and broad, comfortable waistcoats, a yard and a half round the equator. They were seated opposite each other at a table of a first-class restaurant, and had fallen into conversation while waiting to give their order to the waiter. Their talk had drifted back to their early days and how each had made his start in life when he first struck New York. I tell you what, Jones, one of them was saying, I shall never forget my first few years in this town. By George, it was pretty uphill work. Do you know, sir, when I first struck this place, I hadn't more than 15 cents to my name. Hadn't a rag except what I stood up in, and all the place I had to sleep in you won't believe it, but it's a gospel fact just the same was an empty tar barrel. No, sir, he went on, leaning back and closing up his eyes into an expression of infinite experience. No, sir, a fellow accustomed to luxury like you has simply no idea what sleeping out in a tar barrel and all that kind of thing is like. My dear Robinson. The other man rejoined briskly, if you imagine I've had no experience of hardship of that sort, you never made a bigger mistake in your life. Why, when I first walked into this town I hadn't a cent, sir, not a cent, and as for lodging, all the place I had for months and months was an old piano box up a lane, behind a factory. Talk about hardship, 
I guess I had it pretty rough. You take a fellow that's used to a good warm tar barrel and put him into a piano box for a night or two, and you'll see mighty soon my dear fellow, Robinson broke in with some irritation, you merely show that you don't know what a tar barrel's like. Why, on winter nights, when you'd be shut in there in your piano box just as snug as you please, I used to lie awake shivering with the draft fairly running in at the bunghole at the back, draft, sneered the other man, with a provoking laugh, draft, don't talk to me about giraffes, this box I speak of had a whole darn plank off it, right on the north side too, I used to sit there studying in the evenings, and the snow would blow in a foot deep, and yet, sir, he continued more quietly, though I know you'll not believe it, I don't mind admitting that some of the happiest days of my life were spent in that same old box. Ah, those were good old times. Bright, innocent days, I can tell you. I'd wake up there in the mornings and fairly shout with high spirits. Of course, you may not be able to stand that kind of life not stand it. Cried Robinson fiercely, me not stand it. By God, I'm made for it. I just wish I had a taste of the old life again for a while. And as for innocence, well, I'll bet you weren't one-tenth as innocent as I was, no, nor one-fifth, nor one-third. What a grand old life it was. You'll swear this is a darn lie and refuse to believe it but I can remember evenings when I'd have two or three fellows in, and we'd sit round and play Pedro by a candle half the night. Two or three. Laughed Jones. Why, my dear fellow, I've known half a dozen of us to sit down to supper in my piano box, and have a game of Pedro afterwards. Yes, and charades and forfeits, and every other darn thing. Mighty good suppers they were too. By Jove, Robinson, you fellows round this town who have ruined your digestions with high living have no notion of the zest with which a man can sit down to a few potato peelings, or a bit of broken pie crust, or talk about hard food, interrupted the other, I guess I know all about that, many's the time I've breakfasted off a little cold porridge that somebody was going to throw away from a back door, or that I've gone round to a livery stable and begged a little bran mash that they intended for the pigs. I'll venture to say I've eaten more hogs food hogs food, shouted Robinson, striking his fist savagely on the table. I tell you hogs food suits me better than he stopped speaking with a sudden grunt of surprise as the waiter appeared with a question. What may I bring you for dinner, gentlemen? Dinner, said Jones, after a moment of silence. Dinner. Oh anything, nothing I never care what I eat give me a little cold porridge, if you've got it, or a chunk of salt pork anything you like, it's all the same to me. The waiter turned with an impassive face to Robinson. You can bring me some of that cold porridge too, he said, with a defiant look at Jones, yesterday's, if you have it, and a few potato peelings and a glass of skim milk. There was a pause. Jones sat back in his chair and looked hard across at Robinson. For some moments the two men gazed into each other's eyes with a stern, defiant intensity. Then Robinson turned slowly round in his seat and beckoned to the waiter, who was moving off with the muttered order on his lips. Here, waiter, he said with a savage scowl. I guess I'll change that order a little. Instead of that cold porridge, I'll take um, yes a little hot partridge. And you might as well bring me an oyster or two on the half shell, 
and a mouthful of soup, mock turtle, consomme, anything, and perhaps you might fetch along a dab of fish, and a little peck of stilton, and a grape, or a walnut. The waiter turned to Jones. I guess I'll take the same, he said simply, and added, and you might bring a quart of champagne at the same time. And nowadays, when Jones and Robinson meet, the memory of the tar barrel in the piano box is buried as far out of sight as a home for the blind under a landslide. Table of Contents, Untitled